welcome to Right Now Workshop Podcast, where you can write a book and change the world. I'm your host, Kitty Buchholz, and this is episode 242, The Long and Winding Road, an interview with Irene Hannon, coming to you on Thursday, April 1st, 2021. So I've had a couple of ideas the last couple of weeks, and I wanted to get your feedback. You know that I have changed the podcast to be four 10-episode seasons. So every quarter, the first three weeks, there's no episodes, and then 10 episodes in a row, and that gets us to the end of the quarter. And then three weeks off again, 10 episodes in a row again. And then in addition to that, there's still always going to be the Encouraging Words episode the first Sunday of every month. So I had an idea. Would you be interested in listening to me doing a live coaching session? When I say live, it would be live with a person that was recorded for then for you to hear. Um, coaching them through finishing their book or self-publishing their book, which are the two coaching programs that I have. So the people listening to the podcast would be able to get some idea of um, different tips and things that they can do to help themselves. And the person who is actually getting the coaching gets a free hour with me of giving all sorts of ideas for what specifically they're trying to get done and the blocks that they're having in getting that done. Like um, it could be something like, I just don't know how to get started writing a book. I have all these ideas. I might even have an outline or a chapter, but I'm not really sure what to do. Or I've been working on the same book for a few years and I can't get past like the middle or the three quarters point or the ending just never works. Or I wrote what I thought was what I wanted to say and it turns out that's not really what I wanted to say. We all have so many things that could be the problem that keeps us from finishing a book. And so I thought it would be interesting to you, possibly. So this is my question. Would it be interesting to you if you were listening to an episode of me coaching someone? And if so, then would you be interested in being one of the people coached? I would probably do this once, possibly twice, kind of depends, uh, per season. And we would just see, uh, like, was it helpful for you? And were, were you interested in it? So let me know. You can reach out to me, kitty at kittybuchholz.com or kittybuchholz on Facebook or Twitter. And just let me know if this sounds like the kind of episode that you would be interested in listening to. And also if you would be interested in being one of the people who is coached. So that's one of the things that I wanted to ask you. The other idea that I had, and this is actually um, based on some feedback that I've already gotten, you probably know I've been writing a book that is an encouragement for writers book. It'll be my first nonfiction book. Finally, I've had so many nonfiction ideas and so many things that you know, when you're a writer, there's so many ideas you have to write, but you're like, well, I have to do them in this order because I already have started something. So finally writing this book, gotten some great uh, feedback from the first round of uh, beta readers, even though it's very first draft. So it's almost more of an alpha reader test. Um, and what uh, I have decided to do based on some feedback is add in some other published authors' little stories about um, different pieces that are in the book. 
And for some of these people, uh, for some of these pieces, it might actually work well for unpublished authors to give a little story. So for instance, the first chapter is about the blank page. So would it be interesting to you to be reading about a book that was written by one person, but also had stories about other people and the hard times that they face sometimes with a blank page, whether they're published or unpublished and how they've gotten through it and how they've managed to get past it and get to the point where they're finishing their book. So if you are interested in giving a little paragraph or two of your experience on some of the chapters that are in this encouragement for writers book, again, let, let me know. Reach out to me, kitty at kittybuholtz.com or kittybuholtz on Facebook or Twitter. If you don't hear back from me in a week or so, it means that I haven't gotten it or I haven't read it. So definitely just send me another um, email or message because I don't want to lose anybody. Um, I will reply to everybody. So if you haven't gotten a reply, just reach out again. So those are a couple of my new ideas for the year. I thought I'd run them by you and see if you're interested. And in the meantime, uh, remember that because we're doing these seasons, uh, this is the last official episode of the season. Then we'll still have the Encouraging Words episode on Sunday. Then we're off for three weeks. Then we'll start a new season with 10 more episodes. So keep that in mind if you're running through your podcast app going, why don't I have any more episodes from Kitty and Right Now Workshop podcast? In the meantime, we are done with announcements and new ideas. <laughs> and now we are going to talk to Irene. Irene has so much experience and that means that she has a ton of tips for you. So regardless of where you are in your career and what kinds of books you write, I think you're going to be able to find several great tips for helping you uh, in writing and finishing your book and feeling like it's really getting better. She's got more than 60 books out herself and uh, she loves to teach and help other writers. So I think you're going to love this episode. So here we go with Irene Hannon. Today's guest is Irene Hannon. Irene is the best-selling author of more than 60 novels, including the new Blackberry Beach, book seven in her Hope Harbor series, as well as Point of Danger and The Code of Honor, Private Justice, and Men of Valor suspense series. Her books have been honored with three coveted reader awards from Romance Writers of America, and she is a member of that organization's elite Hall of Fame. Her many other awards include National Reader's Choice, Daphne du Maurier, Retailer's Choice, Booksellers Best, Carol, and Reviewer's Choice from RT Book Reviews Magazine, which also honored her with a Career Achievement Award for her entire body of work. Plus, she is a two-time Christie Award finalist. Welcome, Irene. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, it's so good to see you here. Um, you and I have been, well, you probably don't know this, passing ships in the night for about a year and a half because your publicist has often said, oh, Irene's got a new book out, but oh, maybe not right now because uh, computer issues or whatever. So I'm super excited that I finally got to have you on the show. Yay. Yeah, I'm really happy to be here. It's been a, a learning experience in this COVID era, especially with how to do interviews and get all the right equipment in place. So I think I'm sort of halfway there at this point. Well, <laughs> Still working on it, but I'm getting closer. Yeah, and your audio and video actually look really good to me, especially if you're new to it. I'm like, all right, you have a very nice, clean background and your audio is good. <laughs> yes, well, that's good. I'm glad to hear that. And the clean, ba the clean background is kind of uh, misleading 
misleading because I sort of moved things around for the interview. But if you could see what I'm seeing, you would see what usually is behind me. So <laughs> a little bit misleading. You know, people don't always realize how much just paperwork and normal work looking stuff is on a writer's desk. I, th I think sometimes people think it's just typing and that's it, but that's not it. Oh no, I have stacks of folders and notes. And I tend to, when I think of an idea, I'll write it on this little little piece of paper and I'll stick it somewhere on my desk. And before the week's over, I've got all these little pieces of paper. And then I have to try to decipher my own handwriting, which is a real challenge often. So yeah, my that's how my desk is a mess usually. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I'm gonna have some vacation coming up here. I think the thing that I'm gonna do and this is terrifying because I know where everything is right this second, but I'm going to take everything off my desk and try to put it back neatly and have my, I also have a huge stack of little sticky notes, medium-sized ones, back of an envelope. <laughs> So many notes. <laughs> no, we we writers, you know, we we use whatever is available at the time if we have an idea, so that you don't lose the idea. You never want to yeah. lose the idea. So whatever is handy, I have used all kinds of weird things to write on. Trust me. <laughs> I bet. Oh well, listen. Since um you're new to this show and and listeners may not know you very well, uh, depending on uh, where they're coming from, why don't you give us some I some background? Who's Irene Hannon? <laughs> Oh, gee, that could take us like three hours, but we'll try to <laughs> condense that. Um, so, and I'll try to focus more on Irene Hannon, the writer. The writer, that'll, yeah. That'll be, I think of more interest to your, to your viewers. So um, I've been a writer. People, sometimes people ask me, when did you be, when did you decide to be a writer? And I always love that question because I didn't decide to be a writer. I, I was born a writer. And, and I think that's probably true for most writers. Um, you know, to me, writing is, it's a gift, especially the fiction part of it, the storytelling part of it. You know, I think that you can teach anyone the mechanics of writing. That's a skill that you can learn. But the storytelling piece of it, the more, the older I get, the more books I write, the more I begin to realize that that's, that's kind of a gift. It's like any other talent. My husband, for example, he's a wonderful artist and he can, with just a few strokes of a pen, he can capture a person or a place. It's just amazing. I'm in awe. I watch him. I'm in awe. And I think I could take art lessons until I was a hundred and every person I draw would look like a stick figure. Yeah. I just, I just cannot see with the eyes of an artist. And that's, that's a gift. It's a talent. And I think this whole storytelling notion kind of falls into that category. So when people ask me that question, I say, I was born a writer. So what does that translate into reality? Um, I tell people I made my, my official fiction writing debut when I was 10, and I was one of the uh, honorees in a Complete the Story contest that was conducted by a national children's magazine. So that was really my debut in fiction wow. writing. Uh, but there was a long gap between that and my first novel because I was, I've always been a very practical person and I used to look at the, the whole arts thing and writing and think, you know, it's really hard <laughs> to make a living as a writer. And I was not one of these people who wanted to be a starving artist or live in a garret or suffer for my art. So I thought I, I, it never even crossed my mind that I could be a writer at, and make a living at that. So it wasn't even on my radar. 
so I went to college and I got very interested in psychology and ended up majoring in that very interested in that subject, which of course ended up being very helpful later as a writer, but I majored in psychology. And then I got to be, I think I was about a junior and I realized, you know, a psychology degree undergraduate is pretty useless. <laughs> so yeah. if I wanted to be practical about this, what I would have to do to work in the field was to get a master's degree. And I was fine with that. But along the way in college, I also couldn't give up the writing totally. So I joined the newspaper and I wrote on the, I wrote on the newspaper and in college. And so when I hit this realization that I needed to get a master's degree, it suddenly occurred to me that maybe I could switch direction. And instead of getting a master's degree in psychology, get a master's degree in journalism. So it really was a crossroads, a sort of fark in the road moment, yeah. because whatever I decided was going to dramatically change my life. And in the end, the writing won out and I ended up going and getting a master's degree in journalism and went right from even before I graduated, I got a job with a um, Fortune 500 company here in the United States in corporate communications where I stayed for many years. I wrote every day, uh, not fiction, but lots of great stuff that I was able to write. And that was a great job. So once I was established there and I had my security, I had my regular paycheck, I had my benefits, I had yeah. all the things that I thought, okay, I can pay the rent, I can eat. You know? yeah. <laughs> and then my thoughts started to turn back to, okay, I still really want to write stories. So I decided I'm going to give this a try because I've always been an avid reader. I loved romances. I've always been a romance reader. So naturally that's where I gravitated was a story with romantic elements. And so I went ahead and I wrote a story. Um, it was more of a novella. It was not a full length book and it was really, really bad. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> yeah. it was so bad. I don't even think I let my mother read it. I mean, that's how bad it was. She, she was always my big fan, but I thought, I don't even think she read that. And I still have that first attempt. It's in the deepest, the darkest corner of my closet where it shall forever remain. <laughs> it will never <laughs> see the light of day. And I just didn't have the skills at that point to, to really produce a polished manuscript. But writing that piece did make me realize that I could take an idea and carry it through a whole book length. And I learned a lot writing that. So I put that one aside and I went ahead and I wrote a, a straight romance, full length book. And it was so funny. I think it's a common experience among writers. I finished that book and I thought, I did it. The world is just waiting for this book. I, it's, I'm so excited. So I started looking for a publisher and I kept looking and looking and looking and I was accumulating this huge stack of rejection letters and they just kept coming in and I thought, okay, well, I'll just write another one. So I wrote a second book and it was the same process, same thing, you know, send it out, rejection letter, send it out, rejection letter. At some point, I think some people would just say, okay, I just don't have it. I'm going to give up. But no, I just said, okay, I'm writing a third one. Good, good. <laughs> so I wrote a third manuscript and started to have kind of a similar experience with that one. And then I connected with my first publisher who was starting a new line of books that was this was exactly what they wanted. And I should explain here that when I started writing my romances, 
my romances are um, what, the, what the general market would call probably sweet romances, which is kind of a misnomer because I deal with a lot of pretty heavy subjects in my books. So sweet doesn't quite fit, but it does capture the fact that there's no vulgarity, there's no gratuitous violence, there are no explicit bedroom scenes. So that's what I was writing. That's what I liked reading. That's what I was writing. And one of the reasons I think I was running into roadblocks so much at the beginning was this was in the stage of the romance market in the U.S. where things were starting to shift from the sweet romance, what I'm calling sweet, to pretty graphic, explicit love scenes and all of that. And yeah. I was hitting the market at the wrong time with the kind of books I was writing. But I did end up connecting with a publisher finally. And... They bought all three books that I had written, so they were not a wasted effort at all. Wow. Um, and they were starting a new line um, at the time, and two books in, the line folded. Oh. So, so then I, there I was back out in the, in the cold, cruel world looking for another publisher and still keeping along with my corporate job. So I did finally connect with, a, I think it took me, um, I'd have to look at it, it's, it's four or six years. It was a big gap to five, six years to find another publisher. And this was a publisher out of New York that produced hardcover, hardcover books of the clean, not clean, of the sweet. I hate, clean was kind of a common term years ago, but that's got connotations now that some people don't like. So sweet, that, that's what they published. And so they, produced, they, they did hardcover books for the library market. So they bought six of my books. It was wow. It was great, except they didn't pay anything. <laughs> I mean, it was pathetic. It was, it was like a good thing I had my day job because this was not going to ever result in anything that where I could make a living at it. And the other thing was because they were hardcover designed for the library market, they're, limit, they're very limited distribution and the average reader couldn't access them easily. Right. So six books in with them, I thought they wanted more and I thought, you know, this isn't taking me where I really want to go. So I just stepped away from that publisher and began the search again for somebody else to publish my books. And um, about, I think it was another four or five years, um, I was able to connect with a division of Harlequin that was publishing the kind of books that I was writing. I ended up being one of their launch authors wow. and um, ended up writing, I think, 26 or seven books for them. Wow. And so while all this is happening, so, my, so, that, so that career started to pick up. Now, at the same time, I'm in the corporate world that career is really picking up. And I, I eventually got to the point uh, about, let's see, how many years ago is it now? Like 15 <laughs> years ago or so that I, I was trying to juggle both careers, but on the corporate side, I was now in an executive position. I'm managing a lot of people, several groups. I was the speechwriter for the chairman of the board and president. I managed the annual report. I was the managing editor of our global magazine. It was, it was a fantastic job. I mean, it was fantastic, but it was 24-7, basically. Yeah. It was leaving no time for writing. So I sort of hit another crossroads in my life. I realized that I was either going to have to stay in the corporate world and just put the writing aside until I retired, which was many years down the road. 
or I was going to have to walk away from this corporate job with all of its benefits mm. and all of its security and focus on my writing. And uh, that was a hard decision because my, I write, I write romantic suspense and I write contemporary romance. And I tell people I had the kind of job in the corporate world that one of my villains would kill for. I mean, yeah. it, was, it was that, it was, the, it was a fantastic job. You know, I flew around all over the place on the corporate jet. I, you know, I mean, it was just, it was an amazing job, but the, I, I knew I would have to stop writing and, and I had some momentum going with my writing at that point. So it was a really, really hard decision, but three things happened sort of back to back that gave me exactly the guidance that I, I needed. It was almost like if, as close to writing in the sky as you could ever ask for, because my, my publisher, Harlequin at that point, offered me another three book contract. I won my first Rita Award, which is the Oscar of romance fiction. Yeah. And the, another big change was that we had new management come into my division at work and they had a completely different employee relations philosophy than I did. Yeah. Uh, and it was a really not great environment anymore. The job was still wonderful, but the environment just shifted significantly. And, and I thought, you know, I think this is my answer. I think yeah. I'm going to leave this corporate job. So I did. I just walked away from that um, hardest decision I ever made. And it could have gone either way because, you know, the writing business, it's like any of the arts businesses, you're kind of only as good as your last book or your last movie or whatever in, when you're in the arts field. So there's no guarantee. And even now at this stage of my career, I still never feel like there's any guarantee because the market can shift. The audience can shift. I mean, you just don't know. Yeah. So I, so I, I took, I decided I would take the risk and leave and I did. And in hindsight, it was absolutely the best choice that I ever made because that is when I, first of all, I didn't miss the corporate politics. I didn't miss the rush hour commute. Right. I didn't miss my phone that was, you know, 24 hours a day. I could be called at any point. I didn't miss any of that. And what happened was now that I was away from that environment, the high, high pressure and very intense environment, I had more time to focus on my writing. And that's when I broadened my, I, I went into a second genre. I started writing romantic suspense, much longer books at that point. And I would never have had the time or the energy to do that right. if I'd stayed in the corporate world, at least not until I retired. And those are the books that got me noticed, really noticed. It, it took my career from, you know, this level to like this level almost overnight. The first suspense book was a bestseller. Everyone since has been a bestseller. And there's been a, I also started, stopped writing for Harlequin and began to write longer contemporary romances. Those became bestsellers. It was just, it was, it was an incredible journey. Uh, and I still look at back at it sometimes and think, you know, I'm so glad I made the decision I did, but it was risky. I mean, it was definitely risky and I'm thrilled with how it turned out. But so now I write ever since then, I write full time. I do two books a year. It is my full-time job. Um, 
I make a living at writing, which is just in itself astonishing because it's pretty rare. Most, most um, novelists, I think, typically have a day job as well to supplement. But I, you know, I, I'm able to do this for a living. And I'm just so grateful and so happy with how everything turned out. And it's kind of interesting because my journey to this point where I like starting back in college, where I had to decide between two paths and changing directions from psychology to writing is kind of, there's a theme like that that's in my upcoming book that we're going to talk about. That's this idea of pursuing a dream and then changing directions. So it worked out great for me and I'm thrilled where I ended up. And, you know, it's a, it's one of those, I've, I've had marvelous success, but it was not an overnight. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you hear about people having overnight success and it's like, no, that's so rare. It is so rare. It's a lot of years of work and hard work and taking chances and just keeping your nose to the grindstone. And I got the first, you know, um, my first uh, bestseller and people for heard of me, for, many people heard of me for the first time. And where did she come from? It's an overnight success. And it's like, no, <laughs> it was not an overnight success by any means, but it did work out well. So that's kind of very quick, a capsule of my writing journey. Yeah. And you know what? Already I'm, I'm seeing tips in here for people who are listening. Um, when you come to a fork in the road, like take time and, and ask the question and see what sorts of things come up that seem to be answering it for you and with you. Yes, absolutely. You know, I didn't make a rash decision. And I think it's being a full-time writer is a, is a wonderful dream to have. Uh, but I, I, I am not the type to rush into anything like that. And I did have, I think by the time I made the switch, I'm trying to think how many books I'd written, but it was probably 12 or 15 published novels before I did that. And had, had I not branched into suspense, had I not had some bestsellers, I might not have been able to survive on my writing the kind of writing I was doing for Harlequin, because those are, those are series romance, you know, they come out every month, they're shorter books, have a limited lifespan. And even though I was writing quite a few of them, it's not, we don't live in the age anymore where anyone can make a real great living doing that. So I could have ended up having to go back into a corporate job, but the stars aligned and I hit the market at exactly the right time with my first suspense novel. There was a gap in that particular part of the genre. And I had an endorsement from a a well-known figure in the genre, which I think was gold, which is gold for me. So a lot of things aligned to make that first book get noticed. And once you sort of crack that barrier, it's not as hard to get noticed after that. So perseverance in this business is it's, it's so important, you know, and it's also important to be practical and to say, okay, I'm going to persevere, but I'm going to make sure that my basic needs are taken care of as well, whatever that means, unless you're willing to live in a garret and be a starving artist, which I was not willing to do that. So, (laughs) right, right. But you know, the other thing that's important that people hear is that you worked just as hard on your books as you did at your day job. Yes. 
And that, yes. that was while you had the day job, you were working really hard at night and weekends. And after you made the switch, you were working really hard. It's not something that you see in a movie with, you know, oh, somebody with stars in their eyes staring at the ceiling and then just typing something. It's a lot of work. It is a lot of work. And in fact, I honestly think I work well, I know on my writing, I work way more hours in the day now than I ever expected to. I honestly, I thought when I left the corporate world to write full time that I would have a little bit more moderate schedule, but then I, but it didn't happen that way, maybe for the first year. But once I expanded into romantic suspense and started to write more books, it, it became very intense, and I was always this person who believed in great balance in life, trying to keep balance in life. Even when I was juggling the corporate job and the writing, I still was trying to build in time for avocations and family and all that. And what, what happened with the success of the writing after I became a full-time writer, I didn't quite expect this. I, the success brought a lot more demands and a lot more... Um, time constraints on on my free time because there's a lot more to writing than than the book the book is the big is the big thing but but there are all kinds of other obligations including publicity marketing promotion um i spend a lot of time on all of those even though my publisher is great and handles a lot of it i still spend a lot of time fulfilling the obligations they sign me up for <laughs> yeah. in those in those areas and then there's a the whole business side to writing you're running a business so there's that there's that bookkeeping piece and all this other stuff. So what I found happening as my success began to grow is that I was working pretty much all the time I, from morning to night. I, I still, I would come into my office, 8, 8.30, work all day till dinner, fix dinner. If I still had more to do or I hadn't met my page count for the day, I was back at my desk at night working a lot of weekends and I'm trying finally to regain a little bit of the balance that I, I think is so important. And I'm trying to work a little less on weekends now, but I, I'm not complaining because it's because of the success that I'm having these, these demands on my time. But it's, it's kind of strange because I didn't really ever expect that to be so all consuming once I did this, but yeah. you know, success begets other obligations and you know, you just have to do what you have to do. Yeah. And you know, honestly, Irene, this is a great segue into talking about your new book, Blackberry Beach, because it sounds like the character in the book, um, I mean, it, it, not it sounds like it is, the character in the book is having this exact same struggle. Mm -hmm. I think I might have everything that I've dreamed for, but it's costing me more than I thought it would. And right. what am I going to do about it? So why don't you tell us a little bit about the book and feel free to share any of the, the plot points and how they you know parallel the writer's life, if you like. Sure. And I should probably also talk a little bit about the background for this sure, book yeah. and, and, this, and the series, because this book is, I think you mentioned at the beginning, it's book seven in my Hope Harbor series. And what happened was about five, six years ago now, I guess, I had this idea for this book set on the Oregon coast in this just idyllic, charming little seaside town called Hope Harbor. And um, with my current publisher, who uh, was at that time mostly doing suspense books for me. So I broached this idea and my editor, thank heaven, said, you know, I think that that sounds like a great 
concept. So let's go ahead and do this Hope Harbor book. Now, in my own mind, and I think probably in hers, was the thought that if this goes well, we will have additional books set in Hope Harbor. But the first book was called Hope Harbor. And so I had great hopes that it would be well received by readers and that there would be a demand for more books. So, but we didn't know what the first book. So we got that book out there. Well, it, it, readers loved it. They just loved this little seaside town. They loved some of the secondary characters as well as the main characters. And so, of course, there were more books. And so we've kind of done contracts in two or three books segments at a time. This is book seven. Book eight is already scheduled. Um, we'll see beyond that. Book eight is the last contracted book, but so but every book's been a bestseller. So I'm thinking that there probably will be more books. And the the books are all standalone novels. So you can pick up any book and read it and not have to worry about, oh, wait, there's a plot point I'm missing. Because the stories begin and end in each book. The common element is the town. Um, and there are some little cameos from previous people. And then there are, as I said, there's a handful of secondary characters who are in every book. And I couldn't write a book now without these people because they have become so beloved. I've got the, the one character who has generated more mail than all of the characters in all of my other books combined is Charlie Lopez. He's, I was going to ask you about Charlie because yes. I'm like, oh, I love Charlie. Yes. Readers love him. He's a, he's, he's a taco making artist. He has a taco stand on the wharf and he's also a renowned artist. And he's kind of the town sage, I guess, and the go-to person when people just need some advice or something. He's yeah. a beloved character in the town. Readers just love Charlie Lopez. I get letters all the time saying, are you ever going to write Charlie's story? Because he's got this little air of mystery about him. And, and I, I, I said, you know, I don't know if I'll ever do that because I don't want to diminish the, the um, charisma that he has. But he's in every book. And I have these two clerics, one they're at, at churches on opposite sides of town and they're they have this really great like friendly rivalry and camaraderie and they're always kidding each other the readers love them and then I have a seagull couple Floyd and Gladys who are always in the books they they <laughs> sort of joined up together in the first book and now they're they're always in the books so I have those secondary characters but every book as I said does stand alone Stories are completely different. And the other thing I should say, and then I'll talk specifically about Blackberry Beach, but the books are classified as contemporary romance, and they are, but they also have a lot of women's fiction elements. There are other storylines going on in the book besides the main couple romance. So there's a lot of, there's a lot more dimension to the books than what people think of sometimes when they hear romance. There's more going on than that. And I've tackled some pretty interesting subjects in some of the past books and some interesting relationships. So in Blackberry Beach, we do have, we have Catherine Parker and she is, she's come to Hope Harbor. She has been there before um, in a different time. And she's come to Hope Harbor because she is she has spent her whole life aiming for one goal. She's invested blood, sweat, and tears. It has been her sole focus her whole life. And she's on the cusp of achieving this dream, right on the edge of achieving this dream. 
But some things have happened along the way. It's particularly one that is what has been the catalyst for her to come to Hope Harbor that have sort of made her wonder if maybe that isn't really what she wants after all. And she's in this position of having to figure out after all these years of working and being dedicated for this goal, what if, what if that's the wrong goal for me? What if that's not really what I want after all? So she's got to make, she's got to figure that out. And she also has to figure out, well, if it's not, what do I do next? Because my whole life has been focused on this. So she comes to Hope Harbor to think all of this through. And of course, our hero enters the picture and he is, that's Zach Garrett, and he owns the local coffee shop. And he has a very interesting history too. He has come to that job from a different life. He has, made, he has already made a huge change in his life. Um, and it's a good change. He is glad that he made it, but it has caused some issues with other people in his life that are not resolved. Um, so their paths cross and together as they begin to get to know each other, she realizes that he's been through a lot of what she's going through. He begins to fall for her because she's rented the house next door. But of course there are barriers because she's not from Hope Harbor. There's no guarantee she's going to stay in Hope Harbor. He's not leaving. So they have a lot of issues to work through personally and also as a couple. To how do we make this work? Do we even try to make this work? And then there is a secondary story in this book that follows the same theme of following your dream and changing directions and starting over because Zach has an aunt who comes to visit and she's been in a corporate job her whole life, high level corporate job, never married, but always totally focused on her career. She has just taken an early retirement deal. So she comes to visit Zach and Zach has a barista, an older retired man um, who worked for the postal service all of his life. And those two meet and they're really from different worlds, totally totally different worlds that you would never expect anything to happen, but they click. And that's a similar problem for them. She has all these plans for her retirement and he is pretty happy where he is. And again, they have divergent backgrounds, but how, how, is, how can they maybe rethink what they plan to do with the rest of their life with this unexpected opportunity that comes along for both of them? So we've got those kind of two storylines which are interwoven going on at the same time. So it really is, it has a lot of parallels to kind of the situation I was in of, you know, I've got, I've got to make a decision of where do I go with my life? Am I going to change directions? Which fork in the road will I take? And so I was able to pull on some of that when I was writing this book. And I think that, I think it will resonate with readers because I think everybody has been at some point in their life where they're on where they're at a crossroads yeah. and you know that the direction you go you don't know which is the right one but you know that whatever way you go will forever change your life and it's a hard place to be and I think so I think readers will will it will resonate with readers and I think they'll be able to relate to what these characters are going through yeah and the thing that, that you do so nicely is that um while on the one hand, uh, what, what am I trying to say? You you balance a lightheartedness and a um, and a this book makes me feel good kind of feel to the writing with um, a real feeling 
in the conflicts. Like um, I, I've read, you know, some romance novels where I, I swear the entire only thing happening in the entire short, short book <laughs> um, is just the romance. Right. And um, for me, it's just it's not enough to keep my attention um, generally. But you've got um, several characters who have really interesting things that we're finding out as we go along um, that they're struggling with or have dealt with in the past and are now, you know, living living that choice now. And then you've also got this really interesting volunteer thing going on in the town. So tell yeah. us, is this something that you, uh, I'll, I'll let you explain it, but I was really wondering if this is something that you add into a lot of your books to just add uh, another level of, of life and something that maybe you find to be important in life. I'm just curious. Yes, I always try to put in something that's not just focused on the characters because I'll, I'll never forget my very first editor, I guess it was when I was writing for Harlequin. Um, it, so it was early in my career and she said something that I never forgot. She said, when you're writing romance, remember it doesn't happen in a vacuum. You can't just write about the romance. You have to write about what else is going on in people's lives. And I never forgot that advice because I thought that is so valuable. So what you can do though, is take the other things that are happening in a person's life and weave it into the story in such a way that it enhances the development of the relationship. And so that's what I try to do. And in this book, there is a project going on with an organization in town that's in, in, been mentioned in a lot of the books called Helping Hands. And it's basically a community effort to get involved in various activities that provide assistance to people in need. And in this case, we have, they're getting ready to buy a house that's going to house a, a foster, foster family, a, a, a foster children kept in the same household by, with foster um, parents. And that's going to be a town project. So they're in the process of acquiring the house and renovating the house. And it's pretty much a volunteer effort. So all of the characters that are in my book get pulled into that. Um, the, the barista named Frank, he's actually on the board of Helping Hands and the hero is a volunteer for the organization. Both of the women in the story get pulled into helping with the house. So it allows me to show this other dimension of the characters, this other dimension of the town, and still see the people interacting. But I do, you know, I think what you said earlier is true, that books that focus only on the romance, there's, for me, there's just something else that is missing with that. I like books that have a little bit uh, deeper dive into characters and not just the romantic couple because in some of my books I'm thinking um C. Rose Lane is a good example I have an older woman who's has some issues with mobility as she's getting older uh she has also in many of the books and has become a beloved character and there's a story in that book also about a Cuban immigrant who has literally lost everything coming to this country and is kind of at loose ends and so in the course of that stories, these two very unlikely people end up connecting and helping each other in ways that are just so heartwarming. Um, and I have to do that in my books. You know, I, I want people, I want to deal with some heavier issues, but I want to leave people at the end feeling uplifted and encouraged. And so I, I can't just focus on a romance. I have to have some other 
elements going on as well. Yeah. And to be clear for listeners who are like, well, that's great, but I don't write romance. Um, I, I always feel like everything that we discuss on the show, um, there is something in it that you could be like, oh, I see how that would work in my book because I've read some police procedurals. I actually can think if I, if I could think of the, the author or the title, I would mention the one I like so much, but I just can't think of what it was. But I remember reading, um, the first book in a police procedural series where it was all about the crime, entirely about the crime, a little bit about his relationship with his partner and his ex-wife, but just pretty much about, and it was good. But then I read a different author and uh, 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 the same kind of same kind of story, police procedural. It's all about a crime, but there was like this aspect of his life and that aspect and how that was interrupting his job and his job was interrupting this other thing and how he was trying to balance everything. And it was making him a little nuts. And I was like, this is way more interesting. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I totally agree with you. And so, so that's why, that's why I kind of prefaces it at the beginning with saying that my book, these books are classified as contemporary romance, but they're really they're really much broader than that. And they're the relationships that are discussed and examined are broader than the relationships, but just between the hero and heroine, there's a lot more meat and depth to these books. And as, as I mentioned earlier too, I also write romantic suspense. I do one of those a year and then I write one, um, one contemporary romance. Ah. And even in my romantic suspense books, there's some compelling suspense plot, certainly that's front and center, but it's the same thing. You, there's, I do try to do a really deep character dive, not only into the hero and heroine, usually into the villain, almost always into the villain's head, as well as secondary characters into their heads to see what's making them tick and to uh, keep the audience engaged, the reader engaged in all of these different lives and how do they intertwine and all of the challenges that they're facing. Because, you know, in the end, and it probably comes from my psychology background, what really interests me when I write a book the plot is important, but it's the people. It's the people who interest me the most. And so my plots are simply a device to examine people and relationships. And so you'll find even in my romantic suspense that there's a heavy emphasis on this character development and plot and character development and among multiple characters, not just the hero and heroine. So that's kind of my trademark. I think there are a lot of uh, very popular uh, suspense writers who write very heavy um, action oriented action sort of action adventure there's you know there's shootings and people falling off cliffs and people being locked into rooms and every every scene you've got this high adrenaline thing and I don't write that and so people who come to my books expecting that are usually not the kind of reader that I'm after because my books are more uh, psychologically driven, I guess. Uh -huh. And I get it's kind of like the difference between a James Bond movie and a Alfred Hitchcock movie. Ah, uh, yeah. You know? And and so that's what I write. So uh, that's just that's where my interest is. What makes people tick? Yeah. Now, um, your your book before Blackberry Beach is Point of Danger, and that's book one in a new series. Yes, I've got that right oh, here, right there. If you're watching on the YouTube, if you're video. watching, <laughs> yeah, this is Point of Danger. Nice. And I think it's showing up backwards, isn't it? Uh, is only on your screen. On our screen, only it shows up. Yep. Oh, perfect. Okay. <laughs> so, um, yes, that's Point of Danger. I'll put that back. Um, and that is the first book in a new series. It's a new series there is called Triple Threat, and it features three sisters who were involved in 
truth-seeking professions that put them in the line of fire. Wow. And so I, as with all of my series, these can be read as standalones. Uh, this one sister is featured in each book. The story begins and ends at the end of the book. You do see the other two sisters in secondary roles, but they're completely standalone books. So uh, yeah, Point of Danger. And then the next book in this series, I just saw the cover. I'm so excited. It's called Labyrinth of Lies, and that'll be out next October. Okay. So I've got you know two series going at once here in different genres. And it's, it's a, like I said, very busy job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, listen, um, you and I talked about so many things that we could be talking about on the show. And I know that we're going to have to wrap it up in a little bit. But so long as we're kind of on this trajectory, maybe you could give us some ideas. Um, obviously it, it has worked well for you. It doesn't mean it'll work well for every, everybody, but, um, but for people who feel like, yeah, I really do kind of have two loves as far as genre. Um, can you give us some tips? Like how do you manage, um, two genres? Uh, obviously since you're working uh, full-time, you're able to do one book a year of each, but what other kinds of tips can you offer people? Uh, I don't know if one of the tips is well, start in one zero, one genre for a while until you're well-developed or you hear that a lot, but maybe that isn't necessarily your tip. What are your thoughts on this? Well, I could only speak to that from my perspective because I was already sort of established in the series romance category when I left my corporate job um, and decided I wanted to expand into trade length books. And so what I discovered when I wanted to do that is that trade length publishers don't really give a lot of credence to series books because I thought I was starting from a standpoint of, okay, you're a published author, you've got a track record, you've got a following. But that's not how series books are viewed by trade publishers, which was kind of eye-opening to me. What I realized is that they look at those books and say, well, what's selling those books isn't your name. It's the line. Readers know what to expect from that line. So that's why they're buying the books. So, you're, so when I wanted to expand into trade length, I realized I was starting from scratch. Wow. It was, yeah, it was kind of, just eye-opening. So I was able to do that, but I went from the series romance, the first thing I sold trade length was suspense. And that was like starting from ground zero. Right. And I, it took a while to find the publisher that I'm still with, never left them. They are the wonderful publisher um, that was willing to essentially take a chance on me as an unknown writer in suspense. And it worked out well, very well. Um, and then once I was established in suspense in trade length, and they, they were willing to take a chance on me with trade length contemporary romance, which also worked out well, because I did bring some of my readers, by that time I was pretty well known in, in romantic suspense, I did bring a lot of those readers with me to the um, contemporary romance series. So for somebody that's starting out whether to stick with one genre or not. Um, I don't know if it makes a huge difference because unless you've already got a track record in a genre, it doesn't much matter to a publisher. Um, if you're trying to come in with a track record in one genre and, and totally switch, like go from say historical romance to fantasy, uh -huh. That could be difficult because you're an unproven quality. And I experienced that firsthand when I tried to switch from 
uh, the series romance to romantic suspense trade length. That doesn't mean it can't happen. Uh, so I would say if you're if you're in a genre where either you're not very successful yet, or even if you are and you want to switch to try a new one, I think you can do it. But I think you have to be aware that it's like starting over for most publishers. They will regard you as a new author. Some of them may want you even to take a different pseudonym uh, to do that because they don't want readers to be confused. So it's there are challenges to doing that. And I wouldn't discourage anyone from trying it if they felt like that's what they wanted to do. You just have to be aware when you go in that you will face some different challenges. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I have no idea how long I've known your name, but I know that it is in the form of multiples of 10 years. I mean, <laughs> a, a long time. So it's funny because uh, even though I totally get why publishers um, sometimes feel like a new name is is the best bet for them and the, and the way that they do business, like as a reader though, I see your name and I'm like, oh yeah, I've seen her name lots. I know I've read some of her books. I can't remember which ones because there's a lot of books, you know, right, there's right. a new one. Let me try it. I don't know what it's going to be about, but I remember that I liked her. Yeah. So if it had been a different name, it would have been brand new for me as a reader as well. So I can. Right. And the other thing is, even though I write in these two genres, um, my writing style is kind of similar again because I again my my focus is on the people and the character development so I have many crossover readers and I do have some that prefer one over the other some people who read my contemporary romance say the suspense and the deep dives into some of these really scary villains heads it's just too intense for them right. and I get that and then I have suspense readers who say they like that adrenaline rush of the scariness and they don't get it as much in the Hope Harbor or the contemporary romance books. But I still have a lot of people that read both and cross back and forth. So I think unless you're going from, like I said, some like really changing your voice almost and going from right. two radically different approaches and different genres, I think you can take readers with you. There will be definite crossover. Um, there will be some who won't, but you'll get a lot of crossover. But if you're at, if you're in the beginning stages, um, it doesn't hurt to build a readership in one. But I, I would never discourage somebody from trying. There can be disadvantage to genre hopping in the sense that you're writing in you're a new writer, you haven't ever been published or haven't any had any books because published is a different word nowadays with, with the self-publishing arm, a lot of people are published, but haven't had a lot of large sales in any particular genre. So you say you're writing in fantasy and science fiction and contemporary romance and historical, just because you're moving around because you just like them all. That can be confusing to a reader. I, I don't think I would encourage anybody to do more than two genres at unless you're super well established and then you might if you're going into such a radically different genre maybe change the name in some way so that readers aren't confused because the last thing you want to do is disappoint a reader right. who sees, oh there's your there i know that author i'm going to get that book and then it's something totally different that they're not expecting that's not that's a reader turnoff and I, so you have to be careful about that so I, you know, a couple of genres I think are okay I, beyond like, you know, that if, like I said, if you start to spread yourself out over a lot of genres, that can be a little, a little bit confusing for readers. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's really great advice. And I like the way that you, um, that you talked about for you, it was about the characters and, uh, and, and your very first fork, you know, between psychology and writing and how that all kind of worked together to create the career that you have, which is a lot about um, characters with such depth to them that readers are just wanting to know more all the time and wanting to read more of the books. Yes, the psychology background actually turned out, I, did, I didn't go into psychology because I was thinking about using it for writing, but it ended up being a great asset. So that was, it's funny how all these things I've done in my life have dovetailed to, uh, to help me be a better writer. Yeah, yeah. And so that's another great tip. For anybody listening that you've done more than one thing in your life and in the 21st century, that's probably mostly everybody, look and see where where things are overlapping and intersecting in ways that maybe you didn't realize before. Maybe it'll help you to really um, focus your storytelling skills in a way that you hadn't quite considered before. Yes, absolutely. Oh, this has been so much fun. I, I, you, there's so many things that we didn't even begin to touch on, but, but this has been great talking about the things that we have, I think are really great tips, especially, you know, it'll be, um, near the beginning of a new year and people are thinking, you know, what am I going to do this year? So, uh, I think that you've given people a lot of food for thought. Thanks for that. (laughs) My pleasure. It's, you know, I was always so grateful during my career when I could learn from other writers and I just, I just absorbed everything that I, that I heard and, and tried to apply it to my own writing. And I still do. I tell people, I learn with every book I write and, and there's always something new to learn in this business. I touched on the fact that, you know, self-publishing has become such a huge business. Now there's always some new development in, in the world of publishing. And so I'm, it's a constant learning process and I expect I will learn something the rest of my life with every book I write. And I think as a writer, you have to be open to that and always realize there's more you can learn. Yeah, definitely. Oh, I'm so glad that you said that. I mean, there's so many things um, within the industry and then uh, little pieces of technology, like um, some new kind of social media that your publisher will want you to work on or some new way that you can reach readers that wasn't there five years ago or something. That's right. Exactly. Uh, Well, speaking of readers, if people are listening going, okay, I need to know more about Irene and her books, where can people find you? Well, of course, my website is irenehannon.com, and that's a great place to go if you just want to get a general history, my basic bio. Uh, You can uh, read a synopsis of all my books. It's got all that kind of basic information. The place that I, and I am on social media, I'm on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, but the place that I hang out the most, and I love to interact with readers, is Facebook. I'm on that way more than I am any of the other social media. And I try to post every couple days and I try to respond to every single comment in some way and have had just a great experience with a lot of regular followers through the years on Facebook. So I would say for basic information, the the website, and then if you want to interact with me and get the latest, my latest news, I would say Facebook is the best place. Excellent. Great. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for giving us your time. I know you spend most of your time writing, so we really appreciate that you gave us an hour of your day and uh, we really appreciate you being here. It was my pleasure. I I love to talk about writing. I love to talk to other writers. So this has been a joy. 